Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to the final edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast of 2020. Happy New Year's Eve, everyone. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a lot to get to. Obviously, it's the last show of 2020. Thank God. This year's been just horrific on many, many fronts. But we got to witness a fantastic bowl game. We thought it would be a good matchup. We thought the teams would be pretty even. So we had a, a really fun cheese it bowl. Did you uh first off, are you ready to see 2020 in the rear view? And did you enjoy that game? I am so ready to see 2020 uh in the rear view. I've been very blessed and uh I haven't taken too big of a hit, but there are a lot of people out there hurting a lot worse. So 2020, it's been a rough year for a lot of people. So definitely ready to leave 2020 in the rear view. Uh, as far as Oklahoma State football goes, what a weird, wild, up and down, <laughs> fun game that was on Monday, Tuesday. What day was the bowl game for? I don't know what day is what. Oklahoma State and Miami played a fun football game. That was what day? Was it's it? Thursday, so it would have been Tuesday. That's right. It was Tuesday. So yeah, no, a, a fun game, obviously a, a really nice springboard into 2021, which we'll talk about, but first let's get to Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner. You can go shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com all day, every day. They offer free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. It excludes panoramas and diploma frames. And you know, 2020 has been a wild year, but you're going to need your gear for next year. Hopefully we'll have fans in the stands and you can rock your, your latest Chris's University Spirit, Spirit wear and uh, be sure to do all your shopping at chrisuniversityspirit.com. So OSU Colby, for all the Cheez-Its, Mike Gundy winds up with Cheez-Its dumped on his, his flowing mane, which I thought was excellent, but I'm not sure how you want to tackle this game, but let's just jump in the way the game started. And you and I talked a lot about the bowl game in terms of Miami's defense giving up 500 yards on the ground. And what does OSU do? They come out and start the game with 15 straight passes. And it just looked like everything, Colby, you and I have talked about all season. We've been just begging for them to spread it out, get the ball out quick for Spencer Sanders. It looked like he could see the field so much better out of the spread with four wides than he can with the two Cowboy backs all bunched up. Wasn't that first drive just and not only was it a great first drive, they go for it on fourth down on, on instead of trying to kick a long field goal, and they wind up with a touchdown. I just we're going to talk a lot about this is going to be a theme throughout this show. I'm talking about the bowl game, just how frustrating the season was versus the bowl performance. But man, that first drive was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I'm going to start out being positive because I know at some point we're going to reflect on the season, and I really want to talk about Mike Gundy's comments after the game. But we're going to save that. I'm going to be positive right now so somebody just wants to listen to 10 minutes of this podcast they won't have to hear me uh be all negative like like I tend to do sometimes that first drive was so much fun it felt like Oklahoma State football had jumped in a time machine and gone back to an era where they just sling it all over the field Tylan was out there uh we're going to talk about Tylan Dylan Stoner uh, I mean everybody was involved on that first drive Brennan Presley obviously had a huge game but Spencer Sanders, man, he was slinging it. That looks like the offense that fits him. We've talked about it throughout the year. I mean, De'Eric King, everybody loves De'Eric King, and, and he got hurt, so we didn't get to see it for the, the whole game. But I tell you what, up until the point De'Eric King got hurt, Spencer Sanders certainly looked like the best quarterback in that game. And, and I think it was just a matter of they put him in a position to succeed. They caught Miami off guard. They threw it all over the place. 
Uh, Miami had no idea what to do. He was making good decisions with the football. So, yeah, I mean, right out of the, the bat. And then going for it on fourth down, that's what we've been clamoring for all year. They did it on fourth and six from the opponent's 30, which is very much no man's land whenever you uh, have a backup kicker. They go for it. And despite probably the worst throw by Spencer Sanders of the day, he underthrew a wide open Brendan Presley by about 10 yards. Presley makes a great catch and they score. So everything in the first quarter went exactly how you would draw it up. Yeah, it really did. And I, again, I, I'm with you. I thought Sanders was outstanding. And they they build a 21-point lead. It's 21 nothing, And you're thinking, man, I even tweeted, you know, bowl game Mike Gundy is, is so much better than regular season Mike Gundy, just in terms of his approach. And Obviously, I think you have to, to talk about that 21 nothing start. You mentioned him, Brennan Presley, Coley. You know, I had heard, I'm sure you had too, that this kid was a total stud. And he was tearing it up in fall, the, the abbreviated fall camp that they had. And he had one catch entering the bowl game. And again, I know he's a freshman. We all understand that. But for a receiving core that was lacking any sort of playmaking past Tywin Wallace, it was just crazy to see. I mean, six catches, 118 yards, nearly 20 yards per reception and three touchdowns for a true freshman. And, and again, we're going to, we're, we're going to be plenty positive here, but, and again, I, I totally understand that Casey Dunn didn't have a full spring, didn't have a full fall camp like they're accustomed to. I, I understand all of those things. But the idea that this offense didn't have weapons simply is not true. I mean, I know Chuba was banged up, but you just look on down the line. I mean, Tylen Wallace, obviously. Dylan Stoner catches everything thrown his way, scores another touchdown in this game. He proved it in the Baylor game. He's an explosive playmaker. And then you see what Brennan Presley did. And then when Tylen Wallace goes out, you see Tay Martin looking like a total dude. I think this offensive staff did a horrific job this year. I'm going to give him a lot of credit for the bowl performance. It was excellent. Now, we're going to get to some of the negative, too. After the first quarter, things weren't so great offensively, which I want to talk about next, Colby. But this team has weapons. And, again, I don't think Jelani Woods is prime Jimmy Graham, as you said. He's not some freak of nature athlete. But for an offense that was so pedestrian during the season to not target him over the middle, to not get Tay Martin on the field, to not get Brennan Presley more than one catch for the entire season – it's a total fail by the coaching staff. And we saw why in the, in the bowl game. Yeah, it was, man, I, I don't want to single somebody out, but you're telling me that you couldn't have benefited from Brennan Presley and Tay Martin cutting into like some of Braden Johnson snaps. I, I, I'm sorry. I thought Braden Johnson was going to have a huge season. He didn't um, for whatever reason. I, I don't know what the reason is. It just didn't work. Sometimes it just doesn't work. But we barely see Brennan Presley all year. We barely see Tay Martin all year. And now we're looking at both these guys coming into next season, thinking they could be absolute studs and catalysts for the Oklahoma State offense at receiver. And we didn't see them until, until the exhibition game. And I just – I can't make sense of it. I, I don't know what the plan was throughout the season. Like you said, I think if I were to grade just the, the offensive coaching, and that falls at the feet – of Oklahoma, uh, of Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy and the offensive coordinator Casey Dunn, I mean, there's no way you could give them a passing grade for the way the offense operated this season. Um, I, I just – I was really befuddled throughout the year. We came on here week in, week out. You know, we talked about all the 12 personnel they were running. I mean, I've, I get you've got offensive line problems, but you're making it worse playing in a phone booth. We saw it time and time again. They run all this 12 personnel, and they have no success – 
And every time they would elect to spread it out and, and run a true spread, they'd move the ball up and down the field. So I just, it, it didn't make sense, Carson. And after seeing what Brendan Presley and Tay Martin did on Tuesday, it didn't make sense why, why we didn't see more of those guys. Um, you know, Tay Martin said he's coming back next year. That's great. Brendan Presley, obviously, is a young guy. He will be back next year. So maybe the future of that position is better than we would have thought. Um, but it really makes you question kind of the way things went in 2020. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and I think their offense is somewhat limited in that, you know, we're going to talk about the Tylen Wallace situation. But, you know, Tylen Wallace plays the, what they call the, the Z position at receiver. Well, when Tylen Wallace was out against Baylor, Stoner slides in there and all of a sudden gets a ton of balls. Uh, Tylen Wallace sits in the cheese of bowl. All of a sudden, Tay Martin's playing the Z position, gets a ton of balls. Is their offense so limited that they only target the Z position? I mean, I, I know Presley had a big game not in that position, but all of a sudden, Tay Martin's off the, the milk carton because he's playing in Tylen Wallace's spot. You need to have an offense that is not so centric on one receiver position. That's what it's kind of evolved into, in my opinion, is that their offense is so not limited, but scaled back or simplified, I guess is the right word that you have to be the number one receiver to get targets. I, I just, they need to spread it out like they did. And again, I think Sanders did a really good job finally of, of spreading the football out. This is the most balanced reception chart. I can, I remember from the entire season, you had Presley with six, Martin with six, Wallace with six, Stoner with five, Landon Wolf three and LD Brown one. Now that's balance. That's spreading the football out and not locking in on one guy. And so that's something I think they need to address in the offseason as well. And a sneaky factor of the offense, Colby, is the offensive line didn't play bad the last four or five games of the year. They actually played good enough. And so I don't, I'm not here for the excuses about the offensive line every single performance. But let's get back to the cheese bowl. So 21 nothing, Colby. And OSU gets the ball down in the red zone. It's third and six. They've been you know, throwing it all over the field. And they go to the third and six draw up the middle. That's stuff for about a one-yard loss. And they try to kick a field goal with the backup kicker who's been beyond shaky. And it's like it's like Gundy got up 21-0 and just reverted back to all of his tendencies of playing uber conservative. It's like you're in the Cheez-It Bowl. You have a backup kicker. And you run it on third and six and settle for a field goal. I just thought that set the tone for the way that the second and third quarters played out, Colby. It was just, it was like two steps forward and like a giant, giant hop backwards. Yeah, I don't know what the idea was there. Maybe they thought that they would catch Miami off guard and run it in. I mean, the problem with that is whenever you're down there in those goal to go situations, they might have been just outside goal to go, they were in the red zone the field is so compacted. You've got those safeties and linebackers just stacked on top of each other in the middle of the field. You're not going to fool anybody there enough to run it in on third and six. So I thought even watching it live, I just, I went, I was like, huh? They did what there to set up who for a field goal? It didn't make any sense at all. And especially when Spencer was playing as well as he was. And then what happens? I mean, the football gods let you know that that was a bad decision and you missed the field goal. And, and honestly, it's probably what you deserve. If you run it on third and six in that situation to set up a field goal for your backup kicker, you probably deserve to miss it and not have those three points. And at that point, it didn't look like those three points were going to matter. But, boy, they started to matter in a hurry when that game got to be 21-19 in the third quarter. 
Yeah, no doubt. And again, you weren't running the football with, with literally any success. I mean, Spencer Sanders ends up being the top rusher with 13 carries, 45 yards. They averaged 2.6 on the ground. And that, that to me is a concern as well, because I think this offensive line has played well down the stretch, like I mentioned, but this is the same Miami team. They gave up 500 yards on the ground in North Carolina and they couldn't run the ball. So that that's a concern for me moving forward next season with with LD, LD Brown, we don't know his status. Has LD Brown announced if he's coming back or not? Uh, not that I know of. The only three that I've really seen are Tay Martin, uh, Trey Sterling, and Malcolm Rodriguez. Okay. Well, that's a concern. Even if LD comes back with Desmond Jackson and Dominic Richardson as well, they're going to have to they're going to have to manufacture a better run scheme to to get more in the open field because they there was nothing doing against Miami. And so Miami loses Deer at King. I mean, just a horrible horrible injury it was clear he blew out his ACL Miami has announced today that he did tear his ACL and they don't know if he'll be ready to start next season and so the the backup Perry comes in and kind of kind of lit up OSU a little bit it was some of those it was some of what Mike Gundy's talking about giving up too many big plays in the in the passing game and the defense was on their heels there for a while and so Derek King goes out with an injury and Tylen Wallace had six catches in the first quarter and I don't know when you noticed it, Colby, but I, it didn't. It took me a while to notice he wasn't out there. I think the early in the third quarter is when I noticed, but I don't think he played much in the second either. And so, you know, we knew Tylen had opted into this game, and we're getting total mixed messages from OSU as to what happened. You know, there was a report from Dylan Buckingham that there was a plan going into this game that he only played a half, which. Mike Gundy somewhat refuted, which you can, Mike Gundy doesn't always tell the truth about things, but it sounded like, in my opinion, Colby, they saw Derek King go down and we're like, let's get Tywin out of the game. Like, we don't want that to happen to him. And so I'm sure there was a plan somewhat of if we get up big, take him out, or if we're down big, take him out. I, I, I question whether they were had this plan all along to pull him after a half. And because if that's the case, why not just play in the second half when the game's on the line? So I, I don't know what your take on that, but it was a very strange situation with Tylen sitting in that game. Yeah, it was because you didn't know if it was a decision that he made. Um, you know, Mike Gundy, even Gavin Gundy came out on Twitter and said they made that decision before the game, uh, that Mike Gundy and Tylen Wallace made that decision. And then Casey Dunn is asked about it. Casey Dunn says that it was 100% his decision, say, saying Casey Dunn's decision, that he had told Tylen before the game that he wanted to see Tay Martin in the second half. You know, Casey Dunn said, I, I wanted to protect that kid. So 100% my call for him not to come out in the second half. So very mixed messages on what happened with Tylen. Um, I would think it would be odd to see De'Eric King go down and then say all of a sudden, oh, Tylen can't be on the field. Like, Tylen's risk of injuring himself in that game didn't go up because De'Eric King got injured. You know, Tylen had the same chance of getting injured at the start of the game in the first or second quarter as he would have if he would have continued to play the entire game. Um, and, you know, what happened to De'Eric King? Obviously, he's coming back for next year, so it would have been a little weird for him to sit out the bowl game uh, and then come back for next year. But Injuries happen all the time in football, and I understand why guys oftentimes don't want to take the risk. Chuba didn't want to take the risk. Neither did Tevin Jenkins. Neither did Rodarius Williams. Neither did half of Florida starters last night. I get it. There's a lot of money on the line, and I, I just hope that there aren't too many people out there who are upset at the guys who didn't play and certainly upset at the fact that Tylen Wallace didn't play a half. He suited up for your team one last time because he loves Oklahoma State that much. He said it time and time again. He 
it, it looked to me like he was just really having trouble letting go of his time at Oklahoma State and, and tearing up on the sidelines and all that. He, he didn't want his time at Oklahoma State to come out to come to an end. So he went out there and he gave you another half of himself. I, I just think that we should all be grateful that he loves Oklahoma State so much he wanted to do that. He did what was right for him. And regardless of who made the decision for him not to be out there in the second half, I'm glad it was made because I don't know about you, Carson, but that first half, I was, dude, I was so nervous. I, I was, I was anxious and, and I'm not an anxious person, but every time he would run a route, he would get a ball and get tackled. I was watching on just with such anxiety. I didn't want anything bad to happen and it didn't. So now I feel good. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. I, there was no reason for Tylen Walsh to play in this game. So like, I commend him. I really do. I think he felt an obligation to his team. He wanted to go out on a high note. I, I understand all of those things, but I don't begrudge any player that doesn't want to play in essentially a meaningless exhibition. Because that's what bowl games are. If you're not playing in the college football playoff, it's a meaningless exhibition. And so I, I, on that hand, I understand any player like, like there was a lot of criticism for Trey Brown from Oklahoma for sitting out the, the cotton bowl. Well, if he blows out his knee in the cotton bowl, he can't go to the combine. He can't go to pro day. The NFL's like, we'll see you next year. And no one's going to help him out financially if that happens. So I don't begrudge anyone that wants to sit out and get ready for the NFL. So I, I totally get it. I just, the way it played out was just strange. Like if you're afraid of getting hurt, don't play. <laughs> don't suit up like it's like he had one foot in one foot out and I just the way it played out was just so strange to me I I, I just think if you're tiling just don't suit up don't play like if you're afraid of getting hurt just sit out so I but again if he wanted to suit up that's his prerogative I have no issues with that at all and if he wants to play a quarter fine by me but I thought Mike Gundy did him a solid by saying, you know what, we're going to play. Mike Gundy said, we're going to get younger guys in, which I think was Mike Gundy saying, look, Tylen, I just saw Derek King go down. You're, you're done. You're, it's the first quarter. You got six catches. Congratulations. You're going to go stand over here. So I, I just think I'm just glad he didn't get hurt the way Derek King did because you just you hate to see a player go down in a meaningless exhibition. So yeah, I, it was I, a strange situation. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I, I've heard the criticism uh, of some of the Oklahoma State guys who didn't play. I heard a lot of the criticism about Trey Brown. Um, I actually heard a, a real-life person yesterday. This is not on social media. I heard a real-life person say with his mouth that any player who's healthy and chooses not to play in the bowl game should have to pay back his education that he received a scholarship for oh to, play, to play football at that level. And I'm not on Facebook, so I'm not used to seeing these kind of takes. So I just reactionary, I, I looked right at him and I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And it, it, the, the conversation quickly turned into a confrontation because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Stop treating, you, you know, and I'm speaking to fans here, stop acting as if these football players, the, these collegiate athletes, are like your personal, um, you, you know, it, it's not a fantasy team. It's not, um, it, it's not for you to decide. These are real people with real lives and real money on the line. And getting injured in a bowl game could be the difference in making millions of dollars in the NFL and working as an insurance salesman. So stop with all the selfish nonsense 
about guys needing to play in bowl games for you as the fan. No doubt. Absolutely. And I, I'm with you. And it is strange how fans will be so critical of, you know, basically kids trying to make a business decision. So, and again, I, I understand the, the whole notion of, well, you started the season, you got to finish it. Well, that's, that's the regular season when you're playing for a championship, there was no championship on the line here. So I'm with you there. So OSU squanders the lead. It gets down to 24 to 19 at the end of the third quarter. And I thought Spencer Sanders really came up clutch in this game. He drives them down a seven play 45 yard drive with Dylan Stoner capping it off with the slant over the, over the, over the end zone makes it 31 19. And then it's hang on to your butt time, Colby. It's <laughs> Miami scores to make it 31 26. And then Sanders, again, another seven play 75 yard drive, 16 yard touchdown to Brennan Presley, who again, just had a monster monster game. And you and I have talked all year about how Spencer Sanders' best game of his career was his first game against Oregon State. And I thought the offense looked so much like it did that night in Corvallis with the spread offense, with Spencer getting it out quick, finding multiple receivers. And I think, Colby, now we can say this is the best performance of Spencer Sanders' career. And ironically, or unironically, it's his 20th career game. One of the benchmarks that Mike Gundy has always said, 20 games, what it takes a quarterback to, to get ready at this level. And so he, 27 of 40, 305 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have one interception nearly thrown early in the game, but he didn't have any. Best game of his career, Colby. I think we, we saw what he can be. And I think this was huge for him because we've talked a lot about next year and the, the quarterback situation with Shane Ellingworth, whether that's going to be a competition. I think Spencer Sanders cemented himself as QB1. Yeah, I think he did too. It's look, he's obviously the most talented guy uh, on campus. It's just been a question of decision making. Um, but but also, I think it's a big question as far as coaching. I think a guy like Spencer Sanders, there's a system that works for him, and there's a system that doesn't. And I feel like Oklahoma State has run those two systems out equally, fifty fifty. And y you know, all it takes is a couple injuries for them to bail on what works for Spencer's and try to put him in this box that he doesn't belong in. So I still think Spencer Sanders is really talented. Does he need to make better decisions on a consistent basis? Sure he does. Does he need to spread the ball around to more than one receiver on a more consistent basis? Sure he does. A lot of the things that we saw on Tuesday are things that we've been saying he needs to do. Now that's a bowl game, so throw that out. What's he going to look like next year against Texas, against TCU, against Oklahoma? You know, those things are all a mystery, but I think if the coaches – will put him in an offense that works for him, not a run-run-pass offense. Spencer Sanders is not a guy who needs to face 12 third-down and eights a game. Who is? Aside from Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, who do you want facing a bunch of third and eights? Nobody. Give him a chance to be successful. Spread the field a little bit so it's not so congested, so that he can see the field a little bit better simplify the game for Spencer Sanders, give him more of an of an uh, opportunity to be successful and uh, see where that takes you. Absolutely. And you saw way more zone read. I mean, or run pass option, RPO. Like that, they should run RPO slash zone read. Not every single play, but a majority of the plays because that, that he's such a threat with his legs, which again, we saw 
which I kind of frankly, when they started bogging down offensively in the second and third quarters, I wanted to see more of the of him keeping it out, out to the wide because every time he did, he seemed like he gained seven yards. So again, they're going to have a full spring with Spencer now with Casey Dunn. And this is the first time in Sanders' career he's coming back with the same offensive coordinator and the same QB coach. It's been a revolving door since Sanders came here. And I, I think that I think that plays a factor. Look, has Sanders thrown too many exceptions? Absolutely. Is is a lot of that on him? Absolutely. But now he's gonna have some consistency in coaching. I think Tim Rattay and, and Casey Dunn now have some cohesion. And we're gonna need to see if they can develop an offense around Sanders that we're accustomed to seeing at Oklahoma State. Because you're right, like you've talked a lot about it, the 12 personnel. Jelani's gone. Can we can we stop with that? Can can we go back to the air raid that that OSU has made their bread and butter on? Because that's that's what that needs to happen. And you saw the result. I mean that that looked like the Texas first half. That looked like some of the better offensive performances we've seen at OSU. So that that's a huge encouraging sign to me because this offense has been a quagmire most of the year. So hopefully this is a good springboard. A um, couple more things before we move on to bullets and BBs. We touched on a little bit, but Tay Martin. How good can this guy be, Colby? I mean, I'm not sitting here saying he's Tylen Wallace, but he was making some contested catches. He's a huge target. He seems to have some speed as well. I think I'm encouraged. You know, we were, we talked a lot all year about the running back position. Who's going to step up next year without Chuba and, and possibly LD? But with Tylen and Stoner leaving, I think Presley and, and specifically Tay Martin can really – can really fill, the, fill that role. I, I, I'm far less concerned after this performance, aren't you? Yeah, I am too. I, you know, I told you several times that I was really nervous about the future of that position. I'm less nervous today because I feel a little confident in Brennan Presley and in Tay Martin. Now, doing it once in a bowl game uh, against a non-conference opponent that doesn't know your tendencies, your trends, how to defend you, they don't see you year in and year out, that's very different from being able to go out and do it nine times throughout Big 12 conference play. That being said, it's, it's obvious the talent is there. It's just a matter of using it uh, the right way. And, and Rodarius Williams even alluded to that on Twitter on Tuesday during the game. Uh, he said, you know, it's amazing what happens whenever you use some of that talent on offense. And that's me paraphrasing. You can go read his tweet if you want to. Use the talent uh, to your advantage. Put Brennan Presley and Tay Martin in a bunch of different form formations. Put them both out wide on opposite sides of the field. Stack them on the same side of the field. Make teams cover those two guys the way they've covered Tylen Wallace through your coaching, your personnel, uh, and your quarterback being able to get the ball to both of them. So obviously consistency is the big question because, you know, we had seen nothing from Brennan Presley until Tuesday. We had seen nothing from Tay Martin until Tuesday. We've now seen that the talent exists and that the production can be there. It's just a matter of if they can unlock that for a, a full college football season. I'm glad you brought up the Rodarius Williams tweet. I had it pulled up, ready to read it. And so it's not just us talking about how OSU has weapons. And, you know, Rodarius Williams just know our offense has multiple weapons like BP, meaning Brennan Presley. Amazing what happens when you use that talent. So that that's all we're asking. Just use what you got, man. You, you recruited good players. Put them out there. Throwing the football. So, and along those same lines, this was probably the tweet of the night. Uh, Dave Sittler tweets, I recall asking Gundy why Alex Kate started the Colorado game instead of Brandon Whedon. He said Whedon was a bad practice player. Really? Well, he was one hell of a second half player. 
And Brandon Whedon quote tweeted it and put the Allen Iverson gif of practice. We're talking about practice. And <laughs> this is not exclusive to this year of having talent kind of stand on the sideline. And so I thought, I thought Brandon Whedon had the tweet of the game because, you know, Brandon, Brandon doesn't always come out and talk about that situation, but he, he, he added a little uh, comedic value to that. Gosh, I would love to hear him just like full on dish about everything that went into Alex Kate starting over him and him coming in the conversations that happen behind the scenes with that stuff we'll, that we'll probably never know, but that I would love to know. Anything else in the game before we go to bullets and BBs? Uh, not really. I mean, De'Eric King, Miami announced it this morning, torn ACL in his right knee. He's going to undergo surgery. Now you can recover from these a lot faster than you used to be able to. They're saying that he's expected to be available for the start of 2021 fall camp, which would be remarkable. Um, I, I hope that he comes back and can be every bit of the player that he was before this injury. I, I hate, hate, hate seeing guys go down. I especially hate it in bowl games. Um, so wishing all the best to De'Ara King. What do you think OSU's going to be picked in the Big 12 next year? That's a good question. Um, Their schedule. Obviously so no higher than two because number one is reserved. Mm -hmm. um, Texas. Casey, Casey Thompson looked pretty good for Texas slinging Man, the ball. I covered Casey Thompson for two years in high school. He's an absolute stud. Uh, he's a better throw. I don't know if he'll be a better quarterback than Sam Ellinger was, but he's a better thrower of the football. Texas, TCU looks pretty good defensively. They're going to lose some guys to the NFL, though. I think Oklahoma State will be picked fourth going into next season. So you got OU, Texas, Iowa State, OSU? That would be my guess. That's assuming, you know, if coaches change and stuff, if Matt Campbell leaves, all bets are off. If uh, – you know, if some things switch around that way. But as it sits right now going into next season, I would say fourth. That's probably right. And I'm with you. We don't know. I mean, Casey Thompson played basically a half of a bowl game. But I will say, I think Mike Yurcich likes having a quarterback who can actually throw the football down the field, unlike Sam Ellinger, because that, that offense looked a little bit more explosive in the passing game. So we'll have to see what he's able to do at the quarterback position. It does help that you know, Brian Harson, the head coach at Boise State, took the job at Auburn. OSU schedule next year. They open Missouri State, home against Tulsa. At Boise State is their last non-conference game before they go to Big Blue 12. Tire, baby, let's go. So they're going to have some coaching turnover at Boise. So that, that'll help OSU. Then it's at Iowa State, at Texas, at Texas Tech, at West Virginia. Then they get Baylor at home, Kansas at home, K-State at home, OU, TCU, all at home. So you're they're telling toughest. me – is it in that order? Is that the order? No, no, no. That's just their, their road games and their home games. I, okay, I, I was fixing to say, there's no way. Yeah, the schedule hasn't come out yet as far as home and yeah, road. Yeah, I, I read those in, in in order of away and home. I'm sorry. I okay. did sound like nope, I was reading them in order. So the they're, they're road games at Iowa State, tough. At Texas, tough. At Tech, winnable. At West Virginia, winnable. And then they get Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and TCU at home. That's a, that's a somewhat favorable schedule. I mean, you get – you know, Oklahoma at home, but uh, you got to go to Iowa State and to Texas, which is tough. So we'll have to wait and see how OSU season plays out next year. And they they got a lot of soul searching to do, uh, replacing guys on offense and defense. You did mention Trey Sterling coming back. I think it's a huge boost for this defense because we, we still don't know if Colby Harvell Peel will come back. We're not sure about that. His He struggled a little bit down the stretch, gave up some bigger plays in the secondary, but I think he's put enough on tape to, to go to the NFL should he choose. But I think Trey Sterling coming back is huge. I mean, that's a 
that's a key piece coming back. And Malcolm Rodriguez also announced he's coming back. Um, so OSU is not going to be as depleted as perhaps we thought going into next year as well. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see some of the decisions other guys make. Obviously, Rodarius is, is a big hole to fill on the edge. I, I've said it throughout the season. I'll say it again. What he does, being able to put him on an island, allows the rest of Oklahoma State's defense to do what it does. Jim Knowles loves to be aggressive. He loves to send guys. He, he loves to be flying around and showing a bunch of different looks at the line of scrimmage. You're able to do that whenever you don't have to put a second guy on an entire side of the field. So losing Rodarius is a big deal. But Trey Sterling and Malcolm Rodriguez coming back, that's also a pretty big deal. We'll see what some of the, the other guys' uh, decisions wind up being. And on the offensive line, you're losing Tevin Jenkins. And I've seen just retweet after retweet of pro football focus grading him out as one of the best offensive linemen in the entire country. So you take an offensive line that wasn't very good, and then you remove one of the best offensive linemen in the country, the anchor of that offensive line. Be curious to see what they look like next year. Hopefully there will be some improvement in the offseason under Coach Charlie Dickey. Uh, but I, I will say this. I am more optimistic than I thought I would be at this point, mostly because two months ago, I didn't think that there would be much of anything behind Chuba and LD. I didn't think there would be much of anything behind Tylan and Stoner. And now I feel confident that Desmond Jackson and Dominic Richardson could be a pretty decent one-two punch at running back. And uh, Brendan Presley and Tate Martin could be a pretty good one-two punch at receiver, uh, assuming both quarterbacks are back. I think Spencer Sanders maybe could try to figure some things out and they can figure out an offense that works better for him. So I would say I'm more optimistic than I thought I would be, uh, certainly after Oklahoma State lost um, the, the TCU and Oklahoma games. Me too. I mean, I thought they were headed for a, a major rebuild, and especially I thought they were going to have questions at quarterback. And I think they – I think they'll, they'll still open it up, obviously. But for me, I'm, I'm with you. I think the offensive line is probably the biggest concern because I know, I know they did add a junior college kid and they did add a transfer from Miami of Ohio. I have no idea if either of those guys can play dead. I have no idea. But they're at least getting some reinforcements in there. They're not just coming back with the depth chart they currently have minus Tevin Jenkins. And so I, I'm curious to see how high Tevin Jenkins goes in the draft because like you mentioned, I think his – his stock is is really high with, with the NFL scouts and everything else. So that'll be fun to watch uh, come draft night. All right, let's get to Bullets and BBs, Colby. Uh, it's our segment where we give out helmet stickers for good and negative plays. And uh, I'll start. My bullet, I said it earlier, I think this was the best game of Spencer Sanders' career. I think he showed what he can be in an offense that suits him. I thought he saw the field so much better. So many, so many less throws into traffic into a congested field and he showed off his mobility as well. And I just think that you got to let Spencer cook, you know, there's the let Russ cook up in Seattle. I think Spencer Sanders, is a very similar style of quarterback as a Russell Wilson, you got to spread it out and let him cook. And I think that's why the, the let Russ cook thing came about Colby is Seattle kind of like to do the Mike Gundy thing, you know, get two tight ends out there and run power run game with Chris Carson, OSU Cowboy as well. And, they're better suited spreading the football out with Russell Wilson, letting him use his legs and his arm. So I, I got to give a, a bullet to Sanders because I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, he absolutely was. My bullet, as soon as I saw this, it was a no-brainer that this was going to be my bullet. It goes to L.D. Brown, who took the U, threw it up, <laughs> and then shattered it into a million pieces, broke it over his leg like he's a Patrick Reed at Pebble Beach. It was brilliant. <laughs> It was awesome. I loved it. I hope he practiced it in the mirror for a week leading up to the bowl game. It was awesome. Bullet goes to L.D. Brown. 
uh, for one of the better celebrations I've seen in terms of shattering another team's logo. I think he had two of the better celebrations in all of college football this year. You go back to rocking the, the cabbage patch, honoring Thurman on the throwback day. And then the U breaking it over his knee was, was awesome. And I thought the refs credit, we, we talk so negatively about referees were usually rightfully so, but they let these guys dance. They let them celebrate. It's a bowl game. Let them have fun. And they certainly let LD have some celebration time there. You know, Dylan Stoner was, was dancing down the sideline when he scored as well. So that was, that's what bowl games are about, man. Let these kids have some fun. It's been a it's been a horrible year. They've had to deal with so much. So I I got I got to give a bullet to the the referees for letting them celebrate as well. So uh, one of my BBs, Colby, I, I touched on it earlier. Just uh, the red zone third down running plays that are just total give up plays. And again, if you have Alex Hale back there, who they need to get healthy, it's clear he just blew his knee out in that bedlam warm up. It looked bad when he went down and. We haven't seen him since. So I think he, it's pretty clear he tore his knee, which is just terrible because he was having a, an outstanding Groza-type season for OSU, frankly. But the, the third down red zone up the middle, and they need to tear out the stretch play, tear it out of the playbook, burn it, and just don't, I don't want to see it ever again because it didn't work in game one with Chuba and a healthy offensive line. It hasn't worked since – Remember they were trying to run it at Texas last year down the goal line. It just, that play doesn't work. It, it's not what you do. It hasn't been blocked one time. That's my, that's my BB. The, the third down red zone run calls and the stretch run play it just doesn't work. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, again, another thing that I saw, and as soon as I saw it, I knew it was going to be my BB. Carson, after the game, the head coach of Oklahoma State said, and I quote, this win might be as satisfying as gratifying a win for me personally, selfishly, as any that I've had in my career. <laughs> he must like Cheez-Its. The Cheez-It Bowl against the backup quarterback from Miami might be as satisfying and as gratifying of a win as any that he's had in his <laughs> career. He went on to talk about the fact that if they played the full non-conference, we'd be looking at another 10-win season. And, and I'm sorry, that may be the case. You know, if you had played Oregon State and whoever else, you know, Missouri Valley Tech or whatever the other game on the non-conference <laughs> schedule was, you probably would be 10-3. and three. But you know what? You still threw the Texas game away. You still threw the TCU game away. So what I see is you're telling me that you would have been 10-3 and three if a full season would have been played. And I, I'm looking at that as well. I mean, congratulations on taking a 12-win team and turning it into 10 by throwing away two games. So I, I don't know. I, again, I told you I was going to be positive earlier and there was some negativity coming. That's my <laughs> negativity for the day. Most satisfying win of your career is the cheese at bowl of, against the backup quarterback from Miami. I, I, I don't get that. I don't get the whole, you know, talking about how it would have been a 10 win season thing again, whenever you should have beat Texas should have beat TCU. I just, I, I don't, I don't understand a lot of it. So that's, that's my BB. It's got to well, go there. That's, that's spin zones, what that is. That's we had, right. a, we had a disappointing year. Uh, we won the game. Look at how great this was. That's just – that's total spin. And, you know, I don't mean to get too negative either, but just you juxtapose the game plan that you saw against Miami with what we saw in a do-or-die Big, uh, Big 12 title eliminator game in Bedlam. And, again, I, I go back to what Teddy Lehman said. You know, Teddy Lehman calls the game for Oklahoma. He said OSU's game plan was shocking. 
shockingly, as in I can't believe they're playing right into Oklahoma's hands. That's what I'm going to remember from this season. It's not going to be the cheese at bowl. It's going to be your coaching staff put your team in a position to lose in a do or die game in which you had a week off to prepare. And so that that's how I'm going to remember 2020. Was it great to beat Miami in the bowl game? Of course. We, we, we love seeing them win the bowl game. But I just I'm going to look back on this year years from now, Colby, and I'm going to think of that Bedlam game where they literally didn't give their offense a chance to succeed with the game plan. They tried it out there. And that, that to me is disappointing and, and how I'm going to remember this year. Yeah. I'm going to remember it for uh, the offensive game plan against OU and the incalculable decision to try to block the punt against Texas. Uh, That might be worse actually. Yeah. Those will be the two things that I remember this, this season for, unfortunately. Yeah. So Great bowl win. Let's get to the uh, Chris's University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to log on to chrisuniversityspirit.com if you're not in Stillwater and get your all your spirit needs from Chris University Spirit. You almost nailed it, Colby. They went all white except for the black helmet, which is a look I think we've only seen it one time, if memory serves. I think they wore it at Baylor in the game that was Mason Rudolph's first game of his career, if memory serves me. So what did you think of the the black helmet, the white jersey, and the white pants? Yeah, I thought it looked good. I, I would have loved to have seen the white helmet, obviously. I'm a huge fan of the all-whites, but I thought it looked good. I did think it was a little strange. Neither team wore orange. Um, <laughs> in the Cheez-It Bowl. The Bowl. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a little strange, but I thought Oklahoma State looked good. Well, I thought when I saw the combination for OSU, I thought, okay, well, Miami's going to wear, you know, orange tops and and orange. I thought they were trying to counteract what Miami was going to wear to make it, you know, a complimentary uniform matchup. But then Miami comes out in their green jerseys and white pants. It just, it looked like they both were wearing alternates uh, to what they would normally like to wear either at home or on the road. So I, I thought it could have been better, but I didn't, I didn't hate the combination. Wasn't, wasn't terrible. So. All right, Colby, time for one interesting thing. What do you got? One interesting thing for me is that now we can fully set our sights on college basketball season. And two days from today, Oklahoma State travels to Lubbock to face the number 13 team in the country, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And then two days later, Oklahoma State faces the number nine team in the country, West Virginia, in Stillwater. And and I'm going to say it, I I feel like Oklahoma State, uh, obviously not must wins. We're three, four games in the conference seasons. But – it would hugely benefit Oklahoma State after the loss to TCU to win one of these next two. Because if you beat TCU and then you lose all three of these, Texas, Texas Tech, and West Virginia, you're like, well, those are three really good teams in the conference. Maybe you'll get them the second time around. But the fact that you lost to TCU makes me feel like you need to get one of these three. Because after West Virginia, sure, you get a reprieve the following Saturday at Kansas State, which is a game you should win, but there's certainly no guarantees. But then three days later, you play Kansas. So it, it, there's not really a lot of let up in the Big 12. So fingers crossed that Oklahoma State gets one of these two games uh, over the next five days. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma almost beat Tech at home. I mean, Tech's yep. not invincible. So we'll, we'll have to see. And you're right. If you lose at home to TCU, you have to get one that you're not expected to win or that you're not favored to win coming up here in the next two or three games if you want to you know, really challenged for the NCAA tournament. So that's going to be fun to watch. Cade Cunningham and company, they've had a nice layoff. Hopefully they've resolved some of their offensive woes, some of their offensive issues. And hopefully they've been practicing free throws for the last week and a half or so. So that'll that'll do some good. I'm here for all the Mike Yursich haters on my one interesting <laughs> thing. And again, I was very, again, I, I'm going to take you back to the timeline here. I was super critical 
of Mike Yersich's first season. That game at West Virginia with J.W. Walsh, where they kept trying to run, you know, in the in a red zone, getting stuffed, I thought was terrible. I thought he evolved into one of the best offensive coordinators in the country. He's now at Texas with the aforementioned Sam Ellinger, who really struggles throwing the football down the field. And Texas ends the season scoring 42.7 points per game, the most since their 2005 national championship team. So I'm, I'm here for all the Mike Yersich haters that wanted him fired, that wanted him run out of town. Well, after you've watched this season of OSU, I think you'd like to see Mike Yersich still being the offense coordinator at OSU. So credit to him. I thought he did get, get a – let the record state that Mike Yersich did a good job at OSU. They were top five in yardage and scoring his last year with Mason Rudolph. He recruited Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph didn't just show up because he loved OSU out of South Carolina. Mike Yersich went and got him. So credit to Mike Yersich. He's my one interesting thing. Yeah, he's been awesome. I really, really hope Sam Ellinger leaves so that we get to see Casey Thompson next year because that would be a lot of fun. I think uh, I think everybody else would rather see Ellinger back. Yeah, you might be right. I, I, mean, I don't know. We know what, what they're going to do with him. He's going to run off tackle. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do. I have no idea what his decision will be. I mean, my thing is he's kind of run his course at Texas. That's pretty obvious. But in my opinion, he's not really good enough right now to go to the NFL. I, I don't know what's going to happen with him, but I just want to see something different down there just selfishly and for fun. I'd like to see Casey Thompson. Yeah, me too. Local kid. I love to see him play in uh, the, the Red River rivalry. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. Former Son of a former OU quarterback playing in that game for Texas would certainly be interesting. So, Colby, we're done with 2020. I really, again, I appreciate you joining me this football season. We're going to keep it rolling through basketball season. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. I always appreciate it. Uh, have a happy new year, and we'll reconvene uh, sometime next in, in 2021. Yeah, no doubt. Everybody be careful as we head into the new year. And for one last time in 2020, go Pokes.